so me having the experience that I have with being out here knowing the struggle of just trying to get help and then like the mental health aspect of it all I tell our volunteers all the time like if you see somebody that seems like they're having a bad day like I want you guys to look at them as if they're me That was Vincent Ray Williams III, CEO and founder of Urban Compassion Project, a nonprofit committed to the health, welfare, and empowerment of the unhoused. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. In this podcast, Vincent picks up where he left off in part one. He talks about stints in Oakland Juvenile Hall and prison, but also a long and painful reunion with his mom. Vincent says that his life, the story of which comprises these podcasts with us, inspired him to start his nonprofit, Urban Compassion Project. To donate or get involved, please visit urbancompassionproject.org. Here's Vincent. I was 15. Um, I went on a week-long crime spree that ended by Mills College once again down over here. Mm -hmm. It started at Fruitville Bart. Um, and I ended up carjacking somebody, stabbing them three times, once in the back of the head, pushing them out the car, running them over for $20 so I could get high. Wow. Right? Right. Um, that crime spree had other stuff in it, and then it ended with me kidnapping the teller um, at the gas station by Mills College. And they sent me to, to Juvenile Hall, and I was fighting 186 years. Um, they wanted to charge me as an adult. And while I was fighting that case, they had me in the hole, which was called Boys Control at 150th in Oakland. And I remember one day the staff came to the door, they knocked on my cell door and they told me, hey, you have a visit. Nobody had ever come to visit me in juvenile hall, right? And I leave the room and I go to this little closet, it's big enough, barely big enough for two people with a little table. And there's this girl and she's holding this baby. And this little baby, this little baby has this Puerto Rico beanie on with these little gloves and a little ball on it. She was hella cute, right? Um, and it was my sister, Espy. And I hadn't met her, but we clicked right away, you know? And she was like, I've been trying to be part of your life. And like, we just clicked right away. Espy was the person who made the connection. So without telling me, um, she scheduled something with my mom to be able to come out and visit, right? So, again, they came to the door. They're like, hey, you got to visit. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's going to be my sister and my niece. No. We were in a smaller room this time with the table with two chairs on each side of it. And I remember walking in, and I see this lady sitting on the other side of the table, and she literally looks just like me. And I took one look at her and I knew who she was and I was like, fuck you. Mm -hmm. And she was like, what? And I was like, fuck you, man, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. Like, there's no reason for you to be here. You don't get to be here. You don't get to do this right now. And she was like, but like, please let me like tell you what happened. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you got five minutes, bruh. And she told me this story about she told me the story just about how broken she was and how lost she was and how much she had trusted this man. 
your and, dad. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and what he had done. And how, like, on this day and, and countless other times, he had almost killed her. Right. And I don't blame him. I don't blame her. I don't blame anybody for what happened back then because people were just playing with the cards they were dealt. Yeah. I didn't realize that back then, but she told me this story and, like, I didn't believe her still. I was like, you got to go. Mm. You know, and I remember there was a staff member in juvenile hall and, like, she asked me how I felt. And I said, I don't believe her. She just want to lie to people. Mm. And she was like, well, is there anything I can do to help? And I was like, I want you to see if you can't actually get the report from that day. See if you can't get the police report from that day. And she got it for me and I read it and it was true. Yeah. Everything she said was true. Every statement that she gave to the police from the, 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 the call to when they took us, mm-hmm. it was all true. Mm-hmm. And I got a chance to kind of see just a glimpse of like what she may have had to go through. But even still, like I wouldn't give her the time of day. Right. I moved into a place of like guilt tripping her. Mm. So anytime I would see her, like I would make her sneak me in cigarettes and, you know, porno magazines and stuff that I wasn't supposed to have, you know, and, you know, she'd be like, I just want to come and see you. And I'd be like, okay, you can come and see me, but I need some cigarettes. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't do that. That's against the law. And I'm like, well, I don't want to see you then if you don't bring me no cigarettes. Like maybe a little bit of like makeup for all all that time it wasn't even that i I can't lie and say it wasn't make up for that i used to use that as a as an excuse Excuse, to get what i wanted from her right and when i wasn't locked up and i was out like i would use that guilt trip to go and get 20 bucks and a couple cigarettes from her so i can get you know a rock and you know get high or some cigarettes or something you know um but it is a way of letting her back in right after i didn't really I didn't even if you didn't think about it, you know, to to begin with, I really didn't care to have her as part of my life. Okay, I just really wanted to know what I could get out of her. And it wasn't because she wasn't deserving. It was because I was messed up. Right. I mean, I'm out here doing drugs. I'm smoking crack. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. My mind is everywhere else. My mind was always on a come up and a hustle. Mm -hmm. Like, what can I get? Who can I get it from? How can I get it? How fast can I get it? And when can I leave so I can go and get high again? Right. Right. So like the only person that I never took advantage of that showed up for me was my sister, Espy. For some reason, I couldn't. But I ended up going to prison. There was a turning point for me and my mom. I went to prison in 2014 while I was clean. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I got my feelings. You said you got clean in 2012 over here. Right. Okay. Yeah. September 13th. September 13th. Okay. So, on December 14th of 2014, I ended up assaulting somebody and I went to prison for it. Because I can't use my hands because they're considered weapons. Mm. Right? So, they sent me to prison and my mom kept answering my calls and everything. And it was about, I think it was like a year before I was supposed to get out. And I called her and... I just wanted to check in with her. It was like Christmas time. And I was like, how you doing? And usually our conversations would end bad. Like I would yell at her, cuss her out and be like, you don't understand shit I have to go through. The bullshit. <laughs> um, and uh, she said, you know, you keep trying to play this guilt trip on me and it's not going to work anymore. 
you know, she said, it's not going to work anymore. I'm not accepting that from you anymore. Um, and after I talked to her, I talked to somebody else in my family that told me she was doing really bad, mm. you know, and she was sick and that, you know, her health was declining. Um, there was cancer concerns and my brother had gotten locked up. My sister had moved to Stockton, you know, um, so, you know, I'm getting out in a year and I'm thinking like, damn, that really sucks. Like, who's going to be there for her? Right. Like, who's going to take care of her? Like, she doesn't deserve to go through that alone. Like, whatever she has to go through. Um, and so I had to go through this kind of spiritual journey myself, just for myself getting out of my own way, because I wanted to be able to show up for her without the idea being, I'm going to show up for you so I can show you how the fuck you should have did it for me. Right. Right. I wanted to make sure that 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 was like not part of why I was showing up for her. And that all happened in prison while you were in prison. Yeah. Okay. And I got out and we've been like this. Me and her. I just took her shopping the other day. Spent some time with her. We talk regularly. Um, like we have a relationship today that I never thought was possible that I could have right. with her. And none of the past plays a role in it. I mean, just as you're sharing this story, I didn't see a way, to be honest. It's like, it, that's amazing that y'all reconnected like that. It, I think that is just because I, I started to want something different from my life and I started to see something else for my life. And the way that I started to approach my life for myself and how I love myself, I had to stop allowing other people and what I felt like they did to, start to, to continue to dictate my life experience right. and my happiness. Right on. I mean, uh, that's a turning point. Fair to say. Yes. Was that part of what eventually led to what you do now, or or is that something completely different? Do you want to share that story of how you started Urban Compassion Project? All of it. It's all connected. My whole life played a role in this. People. There was this, I'm going to share this because it just needs to be said. So there's this situation with this older black woman who was living in a park. And somebody wanted to help her and they put it on blast on like next door and some other places. And this person seemed like they really wanted to help. You know, and they contacted me because somebody told them that like I have what it takes to assist. You know, um, and... After I got involved, the situation kind of went south with this other person trying to help this black woman because she exploited it. Raised a bunch of money for herself and then start tearing us down as an organization and me down as a person, right? And that's the reason why I do what I do. Because I've been that person that was exploited. Because I've been that person that has trusted somebody with everything that I have, including like my emotional, like, just everything. Uh, you telling me you're gonna help me, I'm gonna give you everything I got, I'm gonna work with you, right? I don't care, here's this, here's that. I'm gonna tell you my deepest, darkest secrets and I'm gonna hope that you help me and then I get exploited from my experience. I spent 26 years, 26 years trying to figure out what I was gonna do in my life. Right. 
half that time, I didn't want to be out here. I didn't want to sleep in these bushes down here because this was my fucking favorite spot to sleep. You know, it was my favorite spot to come and steal shit from the store and like barbecue and like, but half the time I didn't want to be out here. I really wanted some help. And I would ask over and over again, people for assistance. Mm -hmm. And people would come through and somebody would drop off some food here and there or somebody would be like, hey, you want a coat? And, you know, people might throw you a couple of bucks. But I never saw the same face twice. I never spoke to one person more than 10 or 15 minutes. No one ever invested. Nobody Actual, ever invested. Yeah. Right. So me having the experience that I have with being out here, knowing the struggle of just trying to get help, and then like the mental health aspect of it all. I tell our volunteers all the time, like if you see somebody that seems like they're having a bad day, like I want you guys to look at them as if they're me. Hmm. Does everybody respect me? Yes, we respect you. Okay, then I used to fucking yell at light posts for no fucking reason because they were shining too bright. Hmm. And I used to eat out of trash cans and I used to do all the shit that other people used to do and I don't take my experience for granted because I'm in a better place today. Somebody needs to be the inspiration for a change in Oakland on how people are responded to with care and compassion. Mm -hmm. A lot of us think that we know what the solution is. Some of us just want to jump in and be like, well, this is, and this was the problem with this woman that I'm talking about. She didn't like that we were doing anything that we were doing because it wasn't what she thought should have been done. Mm. And she was like, fuck nonprofits and nonprofits this and nonprofits that. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, like, community members do great things and they're everyday heroes. But having a nonprofit and having a name, there's a certain amount of respect that comes along with that. People respect the name. And they're willing to work with you in collaborative effort. And you build these relationships and these collaborations with everybody from the county to the city, right? And organizations within that. Mm -hmm. And it helps it easier to link people with the kind of services and resources that they need. Yeah. So I set out on this journey, starting doing cleanups, cleaning as one person, parks, by myself. I, when, got, I had a job. Huh? When was that? This was... Right after the pandemic started. Okay, 2020. It was 2020. Okay. Right? I had a job. I took my checks. I spent them at Home Depot for equipment. And I did cleanups any chance I got. And then one day, a couple of my friends got involved. Right? And they were like, oh, we ain't doing nothing. Let's, we'll help you clean up. So it was three of us. You know? Mm -hmm. Three of us. And we just, Saturday and Sunday, going out, cleaning up. You know, in Oakland or were you also in San Francisco? In Oakland. Okay. In Oakland. Okay. Um, and then one day one of them was like, hey man, why you don't put this on social media? And mm. I was like, cause I don't care about anybody seeing what I'm doing. It's not about that. It's not, I hate social media. Right. Yeah. I really don't like social media. Like if it wasn't for the fact that like I have work to do and like people don't believe what they can't see these days, I would not be on social media. Word. Well so put. <laughs> everybody always has to tell me like. Vincent, make sure you post. Mm -hmm. Do this. Do that. Let the community know what you're doing. And I'm like, I don't fucking care if the community knows what we're doing. I just want to do the work. Right. But you can't get support if people don't know what you're doing. Right. So I started posting about it. And then there was one volunteer. She showed up at our first cleanup. And 
uh, or they showed up to our first cleanup and they hit me up and was like, you should make a website. And I was like, I don't know anything about a website. And she was like, I can do a website for you. And I was like, okay, sure. And I thought nothing would come of it. The next day we had a website up. She just pushed it out on Squarespace and was like, we're gonna do this. And so then we could have people RSVP and stuff through the website and it just took off. It just, it just took off. And it went from two or three people at cleanups to, you know, now today having um, a volunteer base of over 800 people Whoa. that at any given time will show up to cleanups or different events that we're having, sorting days, distribution, um, whatever it may be, right? And it may not be more than 30 or 35 people at a cleanup, but with 35 people at one cleanup, we That's can remove lot. like two tons of trash. Jeez, okay. From areas. Yeah, I know, believe it. To, you know, doing case management and advocacy, you know, as well as mutual aid, everything that we do stems from the advocacy. And I'm no nonsense when it comes to advocacy. Like the city, public works, the police, this, the, the city administrator, like everybody knows when displacements are happening, like somebody from UCP is probably gonna show up and stop you guys from doing what you're doing. We've set a standard for what that looks like. Wait, y'all here displacing people? You guys aren't actually offering the services that are required if you're gonna do this job per your policy? Right. Then stop it. And some community members are like, that's, you get up in people's face, but it gets the job done. And what we've seen over time is that the city has actually responded well. So public works now, they'll, or the city administrator, they'll contact us and they'll say, hey, you know what? In two weeks, we have this, this closure happening. Can you please go down there and see if you can make contact with them to see if either they can't sustain the area or you can't connect them with some services. Right. Or at least inform them that this is gonna happen, right? And what we've done is we've actually stopped closures from happening in a way that those that want services are offered services, right? And they get to take advantage of said services. And those that want to stay are offered a way to sustain their areas. Wow. Right? Instead of just getting pushed out. Right. And herded into other areas. So advocacy is very important to both me as a person um, and the people that we're advocating for. Because I don't see that... Advocacy for me will never be one of those things where I'm like, hey, y'all, can we have a talk about what's going on? Can we just stop this love, peace, and chicken grease? No, fuck that. That hasn't worked. Right. It, it hasn't worked in Oakland. And so um, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that we have, and maybe you should give me a leading question because I don't know what else to yeah. say. Our theme on our show this, this year is we're still here. And there's so much about what I already knew that you do and what you just were talking about. It's like literally we like you're keeping people here and keeping people healthy and keeping people housed and that kind of thing. But I do want to know specifically on that, on that idea of we're still here. What do you, I mean, you're already doing the work, but what do you think about that? That idea of we're still here. Um, Here's the thing. It's been a hard couple of years. I got out of prison. I made a complete 360. I just, I changed everything. 
everything except for the way that I talk that shit will never change I'm always me authentically but everything that wasn't healthy for me I use it as an asset today you know in the program we call them character defects right I use those things as assets and what I realize is that anywhere you go there are going to be people that are looking for an opportunity to get involved in something that is bigger than them something that makes them feel involved and that allows them an opportunity to be part of their community and bettering their community for the longest time people have been complaining to the city into the county into local government about the issues that we see in our communities right some of those people really don't care some of those people want to live in neighborhoods where the rent price is really low because there's an encampment right across the street but they complain so that they can save face right but they're not from here others are from here and they get involved and they do their part every single day the other day i'm driving to fruitville to go to my favorite puerto rican restaurant and there's this lady off the off-ramp and she's picking up trash and i stopped i gave her a hug i said thank you and she said why i said because it takes a lot for somebody to get out here and do this as an individual and i don't care why you do it i just want to say thank you because i'm grateful because what it's going to take is it's going to take us all individually doing our part right to help see a more sustainable united like oakland for everybody right so like we're still here people being unhoused is going to exist it's not going to go away anytime soon right i think everybody's looking for like a fix in magic that solution. All, yeah the magic fucking solution yeah. that just doesn't exist because what you're going to have is you're going to have people that actually don't want to be sheltered there are people out here who have sustainable spaces that have been living in them for decades now that you can't offer a million bucks to move inside it's not going to happen so the goal would have to be how can we all work together so that it's a sustainable space for everybody so that people don't feel like they don't belong so people aren't dehumanized for the choices that they make with their life right if you want to drive a diesel truck up and down the street and pollute the air with your exhaust right people aren't going to agree with it but they're not going to tow your truck just for driving it so if somebody wants to live in a tent in a park and it's not dirty and they're sustaining it if you don't agree with it why tow their stuff away mm -hmm. why throw their stuff away mm -hmm. You know, it makes the experience all the more harder. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to inspire everyone to see humanity. That's it. If we don't ever pick up another piece of trash, if we don't get another person housed, right? If we never raise another dollar in donations, as long as we are helping to inspire people to see others as human beings, I, th I feel like we've done our job because nothing else needs to be done as if everyone could see each other as human beings everything else happens naturally everybody does their part naturally when we see each other as equals and we don't think we're better than anybody else because their experience you know you have anything else you wanted to the website is urbancompassionproject.org right you can make a donation there 
we are always accepting of donations. We have Amazon wish list because we would like to continue to clean up so you can order stuff from the wish list. Uh, follow us on Instagram for all updates and everything that's at Urban Compassion Project. And if you would like to get involved, there is a position voluntarily for everybody, regardless of your skill set. And you can sign up for volunteer opportunities at urbancompassionproject.org. That was Vincent Ray Williams III. On the next episode of Story San Francisco, we are excited to introduce you to San Francisco District 1 Supervisor Connie Chan. Episode 40 drops next Tuesday wherever you listen to podcasts. Music for the podcast was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Original photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fourth season, we have more than 180 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, please rate and review the show so we can reach even more folks. We love email, and we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line at storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time on Storied San Francisco. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.fm, best frequencies forever.